Well, Larry Kerr, he's one of our deacons here at Timberline. Larry's going to come up and share a few words with you. Good morning. Well, it's Pastor Appreciation Week, and we have a lot to be appreciative for. Uh, our church has an opportunity today to bless our pastors and, and to show them the appreciation we have for their dedication and service to us as a body of Christ. We're extremely blessed. We have 18 pastors whose love, leadership, and commitment to our spiritual growth is really the key to why we're here to grow closer to Jesus. Uh, we're, they bless us uh, as a church, as a community, and the entire world, really. Each of, the, each of these pastors have gifts and, and talents that challenge us and encourage us in our spiritual growth, and they guide us through the scriptures, through the teaching you're going to hear today, through uh, the people that help us at, during times of grieving or struggles, to the pastors that teach our children, to the ones that lead us in worship. We're just really blessed as a church and so fortunate that God has chosen these people to serve us and how fortunate we are. So today we have that chance to show a little bit of love to them as well and to show our appreciation not only to them but to their families as well. So today there's a separate offering box in the back that will say Pastor Appreciation. If you'd like to make a special gift offering, please uh, put, put it, uh, your check into one of those uh, boxes in the back. As well as there's cards uh, in the guest center where you can, you can actually take time to write a note. And words of encouragement are, are important. And uh, just uh, taking a brief moment to share some uh, words with our pastors I know goes a long way. And finally, for you people that are online, you can go on our website in the giving uh, section and you can also give to this uh, really important day for us to celebrate our pastors and what Timberline Church does. Finally, we can all pray for them. Probably one of the most important things they can have is our prayers, not only today, but throughout the year, uh, just for strength and courage to go on and continue to faithfully serve God and, and us as a congregation. So at this time, if you would bow your heads with me, we'll just say a brief prayer and we'll go to our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the grateful hearts that we have for our pastors. We're so thankful for these godly men and women who serve us, who have chosen that call to follow you and to, to do your work. Lord, we ask your protection on them and their families throughout this year as you continue to use them to bring your word to each and every one of us. Father, just uh, help us to acknowledge their place in your kingdom with all that they do. We praise you and thank you in your son's holy name. Amen. Hey. How are you doing? Good to see you. Thanks, Larry, for those kind words. And I know I speak for all of our pastoral staff. It's a, a joy to serve as part of this Timberline family. I love that baptismal video. We didn't baptize them quite that quickly. Like, <laughs> I was looking at that like, it sent me giddy. And the helpful thing is, not only did they go under the water, but they came up too. 
which is helpful. It's awkward when they don't, so that's good. We're continuing this series. Um, if you're joining us online, welcome. Uh, and uh, we're continuing this series in the book of James. What is that? It's a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, it's found in the New Testament, and we're talking about living whole in a fractured world. And this weekend, we're thinking about how whole people express faith through works. And I'm going to read some scripture from James chapter 1 and also from the second chapter as well. Here's what he says. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And then in chapter 2, James gives an illustration of what that looks like. And he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Let's pray together. Just bow your head with me. Father, as we look at your word together today, we invite you to speak to us in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So, as we turn now to the book of James, we are turning to a really challenging and... What's the problem? Is there an, is there an issue? What's going on, Nikki? People seem a little unsettled. Oh, oh excuse me. I want you to remember how that felt, because it was deliberate. We'll come back to that. They're called warning labels. You find them on drugs, on a food item, instructions and warnings, and I've got a collection of them, and sometimes they're just plain silly. They state the obvious. They are ridiculous, like the apple pie I found, and it had a label on the pie, and it said, this pie will be hot when heated. Well, true enough. Thank you for that insight. That's beautiful. Or a label found on the underside, on the bottom of a pie. It said, do not turn this pie upside down. Well, you kind of had to to read. Children's cough medicine. Do not drive after taking. Well, you hope they won't drive before taking. <laughs> a sleeping pill. Be wrong to mention the name of Nitol. <laughs> Warning. May cause drowsiness. <laughs> or Christmas tree lights. These lights are only for use indoors or outdoors. <laughs> As opposed to what? But my favorite, my favorite ridiculous label I discovered in a video store. Does anyone remember video stores? They were around during the reign of Henry VIII. <laughs> Young people here, we used to have these VCRs. They had like tapey-tapey things and worry-worry things, he said using 
exquisite English. And you put the cassette in, and uh, they were all the rage until DVDs came in. And I went into the video store, and they'd just changed everything to DVDs, and I picked up this DVD, and it had a label on it, and it said, Be Kind, Rewind. But it's a DVD. So I thought, you know, normal people would just not worry about that, but that's not the way my life works. So I thought, I'm going to ask the nine-year-old behind the counter what is going on. So I went up to the counter and I said, excuse me, pre-adolescent person, can you tell me why this label says, be kind, rewind, because you can't rewind a DVD. And he said, sir, I know, I know. He said, we've recently switched over to DVDs and we had lots of labels left over. <laughs> and the owner didn't want to waste them. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Utterly confusing. Sometimes when we look at the Bible, we see stuff that seems confusing and even contradictory. Let me illustrate as we come to the book of James. For just a moment, come with me to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Apostle Paul is saying, Salvation is totally by grace, received by faith. It's not about works. Great. Then we go to James chapter 2. And he says, so you see, we are shown to be right by God by what we do, not by faith alone. What? Now, it seems contradictory. It's actually not contradictory at all. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. What James is saying is that if there is true, authentic faith, it will bear fruit. There will be good works, life change. James is confronting faith that sings on Sundays but makes no difference to our Mondays. In a recent Gallup poll, a survey, it was announced that 94% of those who live in America believe in God. 74% claim to have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and 34% would say that they've had a very specific new birth experience. The problem I've got, the problem we've got, is if there are that many Christians, committed Christians around, why are things such a mess? And I wonder whether sometimes the gospel can be reduced in a way that is so unhelpful. The bumper sticker that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Really? Is that the message? It's right, we Christians aren't perfect, and it is right that we are forgiven. But it doesn't stop there. Otherwise, we're just like everybody else with a dose of forgiveness. The gospel is a gospel of transformation. Bishop Stephen Neal says to be a Christian is to be like Jesus Christ. And as James talks to us about this, he's echoing the teaching of his half-brother, Jesus, who in Matthew chapter 7 said, 
Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You see, James is confronting nominal Christianity. What is that? It's where a person maybe affiliates with a church, maybe goes occasionally, even regularly. But what happens there doesn't really have any effect on their lives. They self-identify as Christians, but it's kind of a label. It doesn't require, their Christianity doesn't require much of them in terms of morality or responsibility. They take a minimalist approach to their faith. And James is saying, no, no. If we really are followers of Jesus, there will be a result in our lives. So, I think we better dive into the points because uh, I've been preaching for a while and we haven't even hit the first point yet and I sense nervousness in the house. <laughs> so here's the first thing. Let's be people who allow God's word to confront us. James is blunt. Look at some of the things he says. Wow. He says, chapter 2, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Chapter 4, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Later in chapter 4, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. In a world, in a culture where people don't want to hear that anything is wrong... The Bible confronts. James is really blunt. Now, I need to say he's not, he's not being rude. I also need to say, if you were here last weekend, you would have heard me say that repeatedly, James peppers his letter with the phrase, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. He balances his bluntness with family language. I love that about him. Every now and again, I meet Christians, you know, they come up to me after I've preached and they say, Pastor Jeff, I'm going to say something in love. And I always think, is there a nearby nuclear fallout shelter? <laughs> now, he's not rude, but he is straightforward. The Apostle Paul said, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And the word itching there in the Greek means to tickle. Not a message, a massage. Something nice, entertaining, but nothing that will confront. Does anybody, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about bobbleheads? Do you know what a bobblehead, nod if you. <laughs> Sorry, that was rude, wasn't it? I shouldn't, yeah. I'd never heard that phrase before last night, and someone told me about a bobblehead. And I, I, I use it because back in England, we had a craze about 20 years ago with bobblehead dogs being, dogs being placed in the backs of cars. 
And it was highly entertaining technology because as you went round a corner, the dog would nod. It's fabulous. <laughs> you may have one, bless your heart. <laughs> and there's a danger that we construct the idea of a nodding God. Who is this? Sure, yeah, whatever. But our spirituality is defined, not self-constructed. Let's put down our defense systems and allow God's word to confront us. And as, as you've been praying for us as a pastoral team, this is not in my notes what I'm about to say, so we're moving into dangerous territory. The last 18 months as I've talked with pastors, fellow pastors around the world, this has been the toughest time to be a leader in the church. Because whichever way you go on certain issues, you're going to make people mad. This side, that side, this side, that side, this side, that side. Every shade of opinion. And I also want to ask you to pray for people like me and other members of the teaching team who stand up here. Because every now and again, we're going to come to a passage of Scripture, an issue, and frankly, we don't want to talk about it because it's blunt. Let's be a congregation who are open to the loving confrontation of the Holy Spirit. Because God loves us, He will confront us. Our son Richard is 37 years old now. When he was two, we were on a flight together and he wandered down the aisle of the airplane. He was a bit bored with the movie. We had consumed food constructed by a demonized chef. <laughs> and he tried to open the emergency exit of the airplane. Now, I know he couldn't do it, but I didn't just stand there and, or sit there and go, oh, he wants to... Try parachuting without a parachute. I said, Richard, step away from the red handle. And he asked that question that two-year-olds are obsessed, obsessed with. You were there, weren't you? <laughs> Why, Daddy? And I searched for some way to communicate to his fragile and tender mind the implications of what he was about to do. So I said, if you open the door, we'll all be sucked out to a hideous death. He said, why, Daddy? <laughs> but because I love him, I told him. All right, secondly, let's give ourselves to listening to and looking at God's word. James says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. And then he says, if you carefully look into the perfect law that sets you free. Now, what is the perfect law? There was no New Testament when James wrote this. The New Testament was not compiled and finalized until somewhere between 300 and 400 AD. That's difficult for us to understand how those early Christians could function. Yes, manuscripts circulating, letters from Paul, the Gospels. But a New Testament as we know it was not in place at that time. So what is James talking about? Is he talking about the Old Testament? Commentators agree he's talking about the teaching of Jesus, the perfect law that gives freedom. And he's saying, don't just listen, do it and look carefully. And when James says look carefully, 
The Greek word he uses means to stoop over. It's the same word that is used to describe Mary Magdalene when she bent over to look into the empty tomb of Jesus. The same word that is used to describe Peter when he stooped over to look into the empty tomb of Jesus. It's the same word that is used to describe angels looking into the wonders of our salvation. You see, James is saying, look carefully. There's another analogy in Scripture. Here's the picture of looking, there's another analogy, and that is of eating or feeding on God's word. The apostle John was told, eat this scroll. Jeremiah was told, eat the word. Ezekiel was told, eat the word. What am I saying here? That we should snack on our Bibles? No. I'm saying we need to feed. And Jesus picks up that analogy in Matthew 4. People do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, we do need to read our Bibles, but we need to do more than read our Bibles. We don't look at Scripture like we're reading a novel or a newspaper. James is saying, look carefully. Back in England, there's a box of letters. And I pray God that no one will ever find those letters until after I have gone from this earth. They are love letters written between my wife and I when we were dating. And they are horrendous. They are laced. I'm not going to read one, someone said at the front. Couldn't pay me enough. They are hideous. They are laced with sentimentality mixed up with somewhat paranoid religiosity. Dear Kay, I think you're really gorgeous. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I love Jesus even more. <laughs> Ugh. It's nauseating stuff. But when I got a letter from Kay, I remember I would savor every word. And James is saying, lean in. There's a spiritual practice that been practiced by the church throughout hundreds of years. It's called Lectio Divina. It's coming to Scripture with four steps, reading, meditating, praying, and living. We read the Word, we think about it, we pray about it, we apply it. Let's give ourselves to that. Thirdly, let's know that disobedience leads to self-deception. Here's what James says. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. And elsewhere he says, uh, you must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. You're deceiving yourselves, it says in the NIV. Do you remember at the beginning of the message, I did that? And you, you were unsettled and you're going, does he, does he not know that he's, it's all messed up? I wanted you to feel the discomfort of me missing the obvious. Because that's exactly what James is pointing out. The guy who looks in the mirror and goes, oh, the glasses are wonky. That's an, that's, we use that word in America, don't we? Wonky. Everyone say that beautiful word with me. Wonky. Comes from the Greek. No, it doesn't. <laughs> messing with you. But if my glasses are wonky and I just go, oh, they need sorting out, and then I just walk away, James is creating a picture of the absurdity of that. And he actually says, if that's what we do, 
something really dangerous will come into our lives. It's called self-deception. Socrates declared the worst of all deceptions is self-deception. Think about this. The philosopher and theologian Blaise Pascal said the greatest threat to the moral life is not ignorance of the moral law or even understanding our moral weakness, but actually self-deception. Please think about that with me for a moment. You see, if you, if you don't know the truth of Scripture, you can learn it and understand it and respond to it. And if you know that you're morally weak, you can ask God for help, make good decisions and change. But if you're self-deceived, even if you know the Bible off by heart, the entire thing, your self-deception will mean you'll think that there's nothing I need to do. And if you're self-deceived, you won't understand. We won't understand our own weaknesses. You see, I mentioned it earlier, but I want to come back to this. Sometimes feeding on God's Word gives us stomachache. You say, what? in Revelation we read, John says, I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach turned sour. What's that? Well, sometimes when we come to God's Word, it, it makes us uncomfortable. It gives us a bit of indigestion spiritually. We're like, oh, this is, this is challenging. Where might we be fooling ourselves? Temptation comes. Well, everyone's doing it. I, I, I need this for me. Where might self-deception have invaded our hearts and minds? Fourthly, freedom comes from remembering and walking in faithfulness. James says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you'd heard, what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. He's saying, remember, remember the word. That's why it's a good idea to memorize scripture. It's a good idea to identify wisdom in our lives, learn from our mistakes, and remember so that we don't keep going around in circles. And James is saying, keep at it as you continue to do it. It's a present imperative, they call it in the Greek. Keep being faithful. And then he says, God will bless you. What's that about? Because we use the word blessing in lots of contexts, don't we? Someone sneezes. And we go, bless you. Or we can be somewhat patronizing with somebody and say, well, bless your heart. So what does the word blessing mean? Well, scholars have argued about it. Some scholars don't like this, but it is appropriate that the word happiness is included in blessing. Happy are they, the Beatitudes. I like that. I'm not suggesting that we Christians are a bunch of grinaholics who are ecstatic all the time, but I think the idea, the truth that true happiness is found in walking with Jesus is a wonderful truth. And I, I'm going to just say this, I love to laugh. And I love seeing you people, you guys laugh. It's, it's nice to have fun together. I get to preach in other churches. I've been to some churches where fun is not allowed. I go preach. They don't invite me back. I go once. A guy came up to me in one of those churches. He said, we don't have fun here. We have joy. I 
took one look at him, I thought, it's deep, that joy. Remember that song? I've got that joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart. And everyone shouts, where? Down in my heart. We should go on tour. And I looked at him and I thought, where? Where's the joy? So it's, 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 it's good to have fun before death. But actually the word blessed here is the result of a bit of input from the Cypriot tourist board. You say, what? 2,000 years ago, Cyprus, the Greek word for Cyprus was Makarios. And the Cypriots were very proud of their island because of the climate, the location, the soil, the minerals. And so they had a saying, you've got it all if you live on Makarios. And that language is then imported into the New Testament, into the word blessed, makarios. James is saying, you, you've got it all if you reflect, feed, meditate, apply God's word. This is life. Freedom comes from remembering and walking in faithfulness. Well, the last thing is this, and that is that works are about practical care and not just personal morality. And here's James's illustration again. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and get well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, this is not just about me becoming a more holy person in some disengaged way from the world. If we are people of faith, genuine faith, that will mean that we will have a concern for justice issues. We will have a concern to reach out to those on the margins. You say, that sounds a little bit liberal. No, Leviticus chapter 19, God's defining holiness, and it includes caring for the poor and the elderly, looking after those with disabilities, caring for the marginalized, doing business with honesty, there's a social dynamic that is part of the fruit of faith. We've been reflecting. We've been reflecting on what's been going on in our culture around the world and in our city over the last couple of weeks. And we found out we've had reports coming in of teachers being yelled at by parents a principal of one of our schools being put up against the wall. We've heard reports of cashiers, checkout people working in grocery stores who are being screamed at. We've heard reports of people in restaurants because they're upset because there's not so many people serving. Service is slow. We've heard about people leaving the restaurant without paying the check. And the server has to pick up the check in some cases. So our missions team decided, we gave you a, we gave you a card last week, a memory card, but we, we, we've got packs of 10 cards this week, but this, this is not for you, this is for you to take to give out to that person in the grocery store, or to that policeman, or that flight attendant. This card says, I appreciate you. 
This says you're one of a kind. You're inspiring. You're strong. You matter. We've had thousands of these printed. You can get them from guest services. If you're watching online, stop by the church this week and pick them up. They're free. And it'd be fabulous if there could be thousands of moments this week. Just a simple way. It doesn't even cost us anything. Just a bit of thoughtfulness to say to the server, not instead of the gratuity. <laughs> Culture there. Yeah, baby, forget the 20%. Have a card, you know. <laughs> to say to that server, and there's... In very small letters on the back, it says, Let Love Live, and it's got timberlinechurch.org. Why is it small? Because this is not about promoting Timberline. But it, it could be that that server wants to say, I need to find out a bit more about a kind of person that at the checkout gives me a, gives me a card and a smile. Practical care, just a simple gesture, kindness. Well, I, I said I'd done my fifth point, but I'm not quite done yet. I sort of said in conclusion, I think, but I just, I just did that to give you hope. <laughs> I want to share with you a true story about what God's Word does. The day is the 22nd of November, 1963, and a theater is packed. And everyone is caught up with the drama of the play. There is a scene where one of the actors is required to turn on a transistor radio and tune into, pretend to tune into a local station. And the actors are caught up in the drama of their performance, the scripted lines, the choreographed movements, the contrived emotions. And the audience, the audience is spellbound pulled into this make-believe world, wonderfully conjured up before them. And then comes this scene, and the character takes the radio and flicks it on. And there's a crackle and a hiss of static. And that was supposed to be it. But for some reason, he dialed the tuner. And as he flicked through the stations, there's noise and voices surge and fade and surge and fade and... Music blares and stutters. And then suddenly, stark and urgent, a voice breaks through. Today, in Dallas, Texas, President John F. Kennedy was shot and killed. The actor quickly switches off the radio, but it's too late. You see, the reality of the real world has, with just a few plain words, burst in on the closeted, self-created, make-believe world of a play being staged, and the play is over. That's what Scripture does. We live on the set of much which is make-believe and not true, and we're bombarded by marketed lies and false values, and then God's Word breaks in. And suddenly, it's like the ceiling parts and we see the blue sky and we understand how it should be. 
And the deception is sent packing. And we start to see the way it was always intended to be. Me and you walking hand in hand with God together. That's what God's Word does. So, beloved brothers and sisters, let's tune in. Let's pray together. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you. Your word comforts us. It confronts us. It speaks the truth to us. And because you love us so much, you have not left us to be unscripted people. Show us where we've show us where we're fooling ourselves, where self-deception has crept in. And lead us away from a nominal, any kind of nominal faith that really is about a a habit rather than a lifestyle. A church affiliation, but not a living relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Help us. Please just keep your heads bowed for one more moment. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you've not made that choice now is a moment when you could make it if you'd like we'd love to help you with that but you begin that by simply asking him to take charge in your life you can do that in your own words whisper that to him right now turning away from your own way asking yes for his forgiveness everything is ready for you and him sin your sin mind taken care of on the cross And now the invitation from the resurrected, ascended Jesus to each of us is that we know him and walk with him. And that relationship can have a beginning right now. 10.53 a.m. this Sunday morning, beautiful Colorado. It might be that we prayed some kind of prayer like that, but it's never really gone beyond nominal. And as I've talked about that, you know that's the way it is and you'd like that to change. As our heads are bowed, if either you would like to become a follower of Jesus or you realize that this thing as your Christianity has descended into being nominal, I'd love to just include you in a prayer. And as our heads are bowed, if that's you, can I ask you to just do something to respond? And that is just to lift your hand for a moment. Would you do that? right where you are I want to go beyond the nominal or I want to become a follower of Jesus just raise your hand right now as I'm looking around people doing that so Lord for all of us but especially for those who have just been responding lead us forward in the truth of your amazing word. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.